I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Move the Guesswork podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Spencer, and my guest this week is a team member of Body Shop. We've just brought Dan on to help us out with some of the corporate delivery work we do for Body Shop for Business, but also on the private side, the Body Shop for You side of the business. He's joining us as a coach. I'm really excited to bring you this conversation, introduce you a bit to Dan. A bit more background on him. He was a Marine. That was his uh, first vocation, which provides, I think, a really interesting perspective on his uh, philosophies and outlook around health and fitness. He then worked as a personal trainer in various different guises, a boot camp instructor, a maritime security consultant, and then back into the health and fitness space. And he is now juggling his time between his current career and branching out in the coaching and the health, fitness and well-being side of things. And in this conversation, we talk about some of that. We touch on some of his background, but talk about some of his current philosophies around health, fitness and well-being. And rather than it being quite a macho conversation, you know, drawing on that experience as a Marine, you might be surprised that it's actually far more about what we call the parasympathetic stuff, the, the rest digest, the resting the mind, the recovery-based aspect of training. So I really enjoyed talking to Dan. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as well. Anything we mentioned in the conversation, we'll link to in the show notes, as well as how you can get hold of Dan and, of course, post a link to his bio on our website, Body Shop Performance. So that's it from me. Enjoy the episode. Share it with anyone you think could benefit from hearing from it. And all the best for now. Dan, welcome to the show. Hi, Leah. You all right? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Tell us a bit about your background. How did you get interested in fitness and health and well-being? So from a young age, really, I was, I was into health and fitness and sports primarily as I was younger. Played a lot of football, played at county level and, and things like that and always had a lot of physicality mm. within me. I was, I was fairly academic. I was okay at school but wasn't hugely interested. I was very much kind of the type of child that would play out all day. And grew up kind of that way, playing football and uh, riding my bike. And then... Um, so a really strong connection with the outdoors as well. Outdoors, yeah, yeah. and just movement. And, and being around other people as well, team sports and, and that type of thing. And then uh, around about, I was in year 10 at the time, so I would have been about 14, 15. The Royal Marines recruitment team came into our school and I was just taken, taken hmm. with them. What was it that, that grabbed you? I think for me it was the combination of physicality adventure camaraderie and the sense that you could tell these people were working as a part of a cohesive team Mm. and all these types of things and also not to speak bad of anybody in my family but I grew up in an environment where there wasn't much of a growth mindset I didn't see many people pushing themselves Mm. Uh, it was very much kind of be happy with your lot or maybe not even a conscious decision to even be happy but just to kind of tread water and kind of get by yeah I think people do that yeah, and not that I judged my family for that, but 
but I just felt, I remember feeling I don't want that to be me. I don't want to tread water. I remember thinking that quite a lot. So this opportunity came to do what was badged as the hardest thing you could do, the mm. hardest military training you could you could possibly do. Obviously, there's harder things as in special forces, but you already have to be in the military to do those. So to walk in off the street, that was the hardest thing you could do. And I was dead set from there. And my, my mindset and my drive was in that direction. I was out running with backpacks on, you know, 15, 16 years old, you know, push-ups nonstop. It was, it was my entire focus was towards that. Um, so I did my A-levels. I wanted to join when I was 16. I was kind of talked out of it by my parents and, and I'm quite glad about that. So I had a little bit more life experience before I went in, but I was, mm. I was certainly 18 when I joined and I was, because I'd been so driven in terms of getting fit enough, I was one of the fittest in the troop, which was great. And then I passed out as one of 12 original people. So we started with 60 and then over the course of the eight months, yeah. there was 12 of us originals, yeah. And just, it was tough, don't get me wrong. It was it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but formed some good relationships and just really enjoyed pushing myself every day, physically and mentally. Mm. And that's kind of set the tone really for the, for the rest of my life and I've always had that kind of in terms of pushing and driving pushing and driving and, and there have been times in my life where that's been problematic and I haven't been able to settle and relax and become more mindful so the mindfulness has come in as as I've grown older because I've had to find a way of counterbalancing that it's really that interesting drive. isn't it it's, it's so often part of people's journey is that you start off training in a certain way physically predominantly mm. and then as you grow older you realize actually that style of training probably isn't serving you as well all of the time Actually, you're driving the body into a sympathetic dominant state and not enough parasympathetic to balance it out. It's highly stressed nervous systems. And you start training in a different, more intelligent way. So mm. it sounds like that's been part of your journey. Yeah, it had to be. The wheels fell off for me early on. To about so 20. how so? Explain. I just got, in, whilst I was still in the Marines, I got quite a lot of injuries all at the same time. I damaged my shoulder doing some one arm combat. And then again, skiing. And then I had some knee problems because whilst my shoulder was injured, I was working a lot on my lower body and doing more running. Mm. Everything was almost to the extreme, and that was the environment. But also, it was a combination of the culture within the Marines, which is hard charging, but also my kind of Type A driven mm. personality was forcing me to take things too far. And I, at that time, I wasn't doing the stretching, I wasn't doing the recovery work, I wasn't paying a lot of attention to my diet. It was more about, you know getting it done and getting that endorphin rush mm. and you know leaving it all on the gym floor so to speak yeah so yeah over time it's just through necessity I've had to I've had to pay more attention and got and got big into the rehabilitation side of things over the years through necessity mm. so I basically rehabilitated my own shoulder because the people I were going to just weren't were looking at things were looking at the site of injury as opposed to the the overall mechanics so mm. I learned a lot about how you know that's not really really where you should be looking mm. and a lot of it was my ankle dorsiflexion or my lack of thoracic mm. extension that was the root of my shoulder issue and I had to learn that for myself for all my research and I did similar things with my knees it was it was a lack of glute activation oh, um, a lot of what we see now with people that have corporate kind of desk jobs you know these hip flexors get tight and it was it was similar mm. you know, similar thing kind of quite dominant so so yeah, and I got into CrossFit in a big way as well. So um, and I, I got kind of mildly obsessed with that at one point, and then got some more injuries. So it was it was quite a overly active time, I would think, but all part of the journey. Yeah. And yeah, that's 
that was my earlier part of my fitness journey. And then beyond that, it's become much more considered, mm. much more intelligent, as you've said, and mm. a lot more about health as opposed to fitness. Yeah. What do you think is the distinction? Is fitness purely a physical thing? Yeah, I think so. I think with fitness, it's more about outcomes and objective kind of yeah. you know, goals. Yeah. So for me, it was about wanting to run the 5K in you know, 17 minutes as opposed to 18 or wanting to lift 120 kgs on the bench instead of this. It was, mm. it was all focused towards an outcome. Mm. Whereas now health for me now is it's almost like a mindset and a, a lifestyle. Yeah. an entire state of being whereas before it was a it was it was more laser focused in one particular area that's a huge um, transition from being an active marine mm-hmm. to thinking about health in a very holistic way so tell us about some of your philosophies now around health and well-being as, as they are today so today for, for me i still believe that the body is designed to be pushed i think we need some kind of physical exertion in our lives and when you look at the research on what that does for the body in terms of you know, neurotransmitters and cognitive effects and things like that. I think the, the body is designed to be moved and I, and I do think that just general movement is overlooked these days. So for me, it's a lot about not just exercise and that 4% of the day that you spend exercising, mm. which is what an hour equates to. It's, it's about moving generally. And now I do a lot more desk-based work and it's about trying to integrate that in to the day but also focusing on on more holistic approach so looking at sleep looking at how i'm fueling the body mm. and taking care of my mental health whether that be time to kind of disconnect and turn inward and do a bit of meditation and get that set point and remove some perhaps negative emotion mm. and and looking at things from from different angles all of which do impact on your your physical health yeah. And I don't think you can separate the two. The mind and the body are just so interconnected. Yeah, absolutely. You, you have to come at both angles. Yeah. What are some of the non-negotiables for you in your daily practice? They get done no matter what's mm-hmm. happening, no matter what sales in, blindsides you, you yeah. do these things. Exercise is one of my main mm-hmm. ones, but exercise and sleep are the kind of the big wins for me personally. Yeah. If I start to drop off on sleep, and exercise at the same time that's kind of a bit of a a toxic combination for me so sleep's huge I don't generally get any less than seven hours I sometimes get up as early as five in the morning but I always make sure that I go to bed that bit earlier to account for that Mm. that's kind of non-negotiable for me is that kind of your your natural circadian rhythm do you think or is that just when you've got two young children so is that you stealing a march on the day by getting some stuff done for you it's it's partly because of those wake-ups that um you know i've got a five-year-old that we've just managed to push back to six but he was set at five yeah no sorry six a.m right yeah yeah from five a.m yeah so there's that element of it but also to be able to fit in everything that i need to fit in within my day in terms of at the moment commuting and mm. and having to get to work in time to get those things done that are non-negotiable so I'll get to work and I'll go to the gym and I'll get that in before my work day and then and then my commute mm. it's been able to fit that in so I sacrifice that time where other people may be sat watching tv yeah and I'll get to bed for nine half nine I was going to ask you about that because I think a lot of us are just going to bed too late to mm. create a reasonable amount of sleep window to yeah. get the amount of sleep we want. In other yeah. words, if we want seven hours sleep, we have to have a window of eight hours. Mm-hmm. 
And you're right. I think people are very reluctant to make that sacrifice at the end of the night. Oh, yeah. It's not the, the That's thing... the non-negotiable part for some people. Yeah. TV time. And 10 o'clock yeah. news. Yeah. <laughs> so I think yeah. it's, it's yeah. utterly bonkers, you know, that yeah. you'd want to kind of have your last little glimpse of the world is the fear, the drama, the propaganda mm. and the shame that is largely yeah. the news, you know, yeah. the terror, the evil. Yeah, it's an odd one, that. But, but so, so you're making that in order to get done what you want to get done in the morning to have the quality of day you want to have mm-hmm. you recognize that you may have to make a sacrifice the night before in terms of yeah. getting to bed at but i don't see it as nine. a sacrifice yeah no i don't either i think if you're the type of person that has a type of lifestyle where the only bit of pleasure you get is from watching the tv at night time then perhaps it may feel like a sacrifice but i try and i've cultivated a mindset whereby i enjoy everything in my life so I, I, I enjoy working, I enjoy exercising, I enjoy my commute to work because I turn my car into a rolling university with podcasts, mm. whereas other people might frame that as being sat in traffic, kind of being frustrated. Mm. I reframe situations at work as a chance to learn and grow and learn more about myself if I have frustrations with other people. Yeah. And I try, I try and get as much joy as I can from my day. So at the end of my day, I don't need... That bit of switch, that that time to switch off and mm. watch TV to go into idle mode because I can I can also snatch moments of of restfulness just by looking out at some nature as a part of the day. Mm. So so I've been on quite a bit quite a bit of a spiritual journey in some ways in terms of how I perceive myself and my life and my and my relationship with myself mm. and others and, and nature. Let's come back to that because I think yeah. that's going to be really interesting to dig into. But just coming back to those two non-negotiables, exercise and sleep. So mm-hmm. we've touched on this when we're talking off air downstairs. But you've got a busy job, long mm-hmm. commute, young family. Exercise is non-negotiable. How are you making that work on a weekly basis? So the five o'clock get-ups is one of the ways that I'm making it work. Getting to work early enough to be able to get the exercise in. Mm-hmm. But some days that doesn't work if I've got a meeting or I've got somewhere else to be. So that'll be either a short session during my work day. There's often a, a gym on site. Or that could be wait until I get home and do something in my garage. I've got a bit of a setup there. Or it could even be something like a 10-minute animal flow or dynamic yoga or something like that. Because mm. the other part of my practice, which I didn't mention before, is is mobility and, and moving my body and utilizing the range of motion that I have. Mm. I strongly believe and I've seen over the years from working with people, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. And it's a part of a gratitude almost for my body. So while some people might see a stretching as boring, I, I'm deeply grateful as I'm doing it. I'm like, I'm so thankful that my body is able to do this. Mm. And some of that comes from the fact that I've had friends that have lost limbs in Afghanistan when I was out there. And, yeah, that sharpens and, the mind. And it's like I, you can I, you can reframe, reframe anything and instead of yeah. feeling victimised, Whilst you're doing a bit of stretching, it doesn't feel like a chore to me because I can. You can kind of see it that way. Yeah. So yeah, range of motion using using these joints that that we're given and having a mm. deep appreciation for them. Mm. But uh, breathing practice as well. You know, so is it more so. driven by? Sorry, come back to the breathing. Is it more driven by the time you have available, or do you have a bit of a structure? So for me, it's mm. one hard and heavy, and I'm sore for two days from that session. Yeah. Then something fast, furious, I nickname it, which is a spin class. Mm-hmm. And then the stretching and mobility is the animal flow. Mm-hmm. So I do three sessions a week. Do you have yeah. a similar kind of structure? Mine's not as structured as that. <clears throat> I've been very structured in the past. At this point in my life, it doesn't allow for that much structure, and I'm okay with it because I've, I'm happy enough with 
where I am in terms of keeping ticking over. Yeah. That I don't feel like I'm I'm off track, so to speak. I can pick up as and when, and I can, if I want to have a heavy session, I will, and I will in, I'll, I'll enjoy that. But I tend to do resistance training at least twice a week. Mm. And I do find that I probably get the most of endorphin rush from from lifting heavy. Yeah. Probably more so than I would an, an intense kind of cardiovascular. That's kind of the impact that has on me. But it's for me now it's about snatching time as and when. Mm. It's been a it's been hard to get myself to the point where I'm willing to just do a little bit because for so many years it was all or nothing. Yeah. It was like an hour yeah. of just beasting yourself. Yeah. Or it's not even worth it. That's got that was my mindset for a long time. Well, I think it's still a lot of people's mindset. You know, if yeah. I have I got asked last week when I was up in Aberdeen with one of our corporate clients, what do you do if you haven't got an hour? Because so often I find I have to miss the gym. You know, it's yeah. a big it's arbitrary number, piece. sixty minutes. That yeah. We've all decided has to be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you yeah. can get a lot done in 15, 20 minutes, 10 yeah. minutes, I think you yeah. just said in an animal flow session. So yeah. do you subscribe to that philosophy that exercise is most effective when it's blended with movement? So you need to be doing lots of daily yeah, life movement. Yeah. Functional movements in yeah. between. Is that a key part of your routine? Yeah. I would ascribe to that. I think, you know, like I said before, 4% of the day, it's not a great deal. And whatever you're doing, even if you do do an hour, we're talking about doing less than that, aren't we? Anything's better than nothing. But you've got to remember that there's a lot more hours in the day and you're completely static for seven, eight hours of them, hopefully, if you're mm-hmm. getting a good, decent amount of sleep, maybe even nine. And then the rest of the time, if you're working, you're completely static. So there are a lot of reasons to, to be moving and to be mm-hmm. functional. So I think in times gone by, you know, our ancestors wouldn't have had to think about this stuff at all. You know, it was mm-hmm. there wasn't a case to be made for it. It was It was the way it was. You had to move. Mm. You, there were no chairs for example you would have to sit on the floor yeah, your job was probably very active yeah you, to do the basics you know the, the bottom of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs all that would have involved movement getting your water getting your food your shelter mm. so that was just the way it was and, and it's mm. it's a similar concept with most things like food you had no choice but to eat real food that grew in the ground or um, that type of thing because yeah. the, the other options weren't there for you so yeah, I think you have to be intentional about it because if you just leave it to chance, then it absolutely just it just yeah. doesn't happen. So I wear these Apple Watches, or an Apple Watch, and track steps predominantly because it's linked to Vitality, where our health mm. insurance is linked, and you get the watches yeah, yeah. paid for along with a number of other perks yeah. if you do a certain amount of steps. But actually on a day where I might be driving somewhere or getting even a train to an airport and sitting on a plane and going up to mm. Aberdeen, for example, you will be hard pushed to do 4,000 steps. Yeah, And yeah, it won't definitely. feel like overly sedentary so it is as you say it's intentional yeah tell me about your sleep routine what are some of your Mm -hmm. golden rules around sleep sleep so i did the usual type of things with my devices so flight mode no flight mode night mode if i watch tv i wear blue light blocking glasses after sunset try not to be too stimulated beyond sunset it's difficult sometimes i'm i'm having to work if i'm going to watch something on tv it'd be something light as opposed to some kind of documentary that gets that the prefrontal cortex and the problem-solving part of the brain kicking in, mm. try and reduce stimulation in terms of the mind, but also what's coming in through the retina and, and kind of blue light, mm-hmm. and try and wind down the way our ancestors would have, because they wouldn't have had much opportunity to be stimulated by such things. Just try and follow that, and, and generally try and follow what you I know you talk about in terms of the sleep staircase, which is gradual, gradual wind-down yeah. process. Yeah. It, it kind of works for us because we have children and once the kids are in bed, that kind of feels like a natural 
Yeah. It's about seven o'clock. It's like a natural time to start winding down. And that's, that's because that's so set in stone because we have young children. That kind of works for us. In the past, it was probably a bit more difficult to, to set that, that time where the sleep staircase kicks in. Mm. So it tends to be where we go down, clean up a little bit mm. and try and, and start winding down. I've got magnesium. I haven't mm-hmm. found too much of a difference in like subjective. Um, no, me neither. In terms of sleep, but my sleep's okay anyway. I'm the type of person that can sleep. You know, my wife doesn't like it. I can <laughs> sleep like really easily. Mm-hmm. But one thing that will affect my cycles when I'm tracking them is um, is eating late at night, and obviously alcohol and things like that, which I do very rarely anyway. It's almost mm-hmm. yearly at this point. But yeah, eating late at night, I try and avoid that as well. Yeah. I try and make my tea my last meal. Mm-hmm. And even if I'm still a little bit hungry, I'll, I'll tend to, to pass on that. Yeah. Are you um, doing any form of fasting? I have done in the past, not so much at the moment. And purely because I exercise quite a lot and I've got quite a fast metabolism. So for me, I tend to lose quite a bit of weight it's mm. quite quickly. I do it a lot with clients. I've done a few 24-hour fasts and I've done a three-day fast in the past but for the health benefits in terms of autophagy and things like that mm. but i have to really try and account for that like that lack of uh, that loss of calories yeah so it's a lot in terms of being busy and being prepared with food and and all that type of stuff mm. i probably shouldn't complain because a lot of people would like to be in that position in terms of having a fast metabolism a lot of people have the opposite situation but i think it's just from a lot of years of of driving that metabolism through exercise mm. and because i eat well it's, I'd have to eat even larger quantities yeah. to make up for the, lack, the loss of, of calories. Yeah. Because yeah. I tend not. I mean, other people might get their calories in quite quickly with some cakes and some some poor foods, but I tend to go on the principle that it has to be nutritious mm. majority of the time for it to go, yeah. to go in there. I'm not dogmatic with it, but I'll definitely treat myself. But, you know, 80% of the time, kind of 80-20 rule for me, it's like most of it is real food. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you touched on it earlier, but the, your spiritual disciplines, your spiritual mm. philosophies, tell us more about those. So, yeah, this, I mean, as soon as you say the word spirituality, I think a lot of people get turned off because they associate it with religion. Mm. What do you mean um, by it? So for me, it's about a relationship with what you can't see. There's dimensions of life that you can't measure in terms of emotions, how you feel about yourself, your relationships, your relationship with this life and this and this existence, which we have real, to be honest, we have no clue about in terms of where this cosmos begins and ends and the, the wonder that's within that. Hmm. So I try and spend some time to go inward, basically, and try and get to the the core of of this reality, which it's very, it might sound a bit out there, but it's very easy to get so granular in your thinking. Hmm. And to get so caught up in whatever's going on at the time, mm. and I try and take a step back from that and and kind of return to to centre, if that makes sense. So yeah, and and I find it links a lot with this idea that you are at the seat of your own experience in this life. So it's quite easy to get drawn into a life of just being pulled in different directions emotionally. Mm. Yeah. So try and retain that that kind of that level of autonomy over your own emotional state. How do you do that? I mean, is it breathing? Is it meditation? Or I've got different practices. So there's, I've got one practice that I do when I get caught up in a negative mm-hmm. emotional state where I will 
I'll, first of all, I'll slow down my breathing and I'll disconnect from my five senses and, and turn inward and I'll close my eyes and find a quiet space and start doing some box breathing just mm-hmm. to, to centre myself. But then I'll, I will acknowledge the feeling. So for me, it's a it's almost like mantras and I see you, say, fear of failure or anxiety or whatever, those negative feelings that you feel. Yeah. I see you, I feel you, you know, insert the negative emotion. I know you're only trying to help and I appreciate your concern because often these feelings, they're, they're, they're survival states. Mm. Our body's kind of primal mechanism to keep us safe, but we're often not in any kind of danger at all. Yeah. When you look at the physiological response, it's as if you're in, you're about to have a fight, you know, mm. the blood is shunted to the extremities away from the gut and all these things. Yeah. So telling yourself that, you're, you know, that you're safe and that you appreciate what that response is trying to do for you, but actually... I'm okay. So the yeah, third part of it wanted. is I'm safe, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And it might sound a bit wacky and out there, but do that a few times and then a bit of deep breathing afterwards and you can feel the feeling dissipate mm. because it's it's quite literally a it's a story that you're telling yourself and it's mm. a response to to stimulus and it's just a conditioned response often. And yeah. I found that I've deconditioned myself to a yeah. lot of the responses That's I used really to powerful. have. That's really powerful, really powerful. Yeah. Okay, you were talking about some of the other methods you have. In terms of spirituality? Yeah, breathwork, yeah. meditation, a couple that we've already touched on. Yeah. Sort of affirmations you've just described. Yeah, affirmations and mantras, I have a few of those. I also have a bit of a practice similar to EFT tapping. Have you heard of EFT yep. tapping? Yep. So I do a lot of anchoring and that type of stuff. So I will carry out affirmations and get into an emotional state and I will have a certain set point on my index finger that I tap mm. so I can anchor a certain emotion. But a lot of the time, the spirituality and that side of it is more of a daily thing. A lot of people think spirituality is about that 10 minutes where you find time to turn inward, and and that's definitely a big part of the practice. But for me, it's about being intentional day to day. Mm. So when I'm sat on my laptop, I'm being intentional about the way I'm sitting and what I'm writing and the the way I'm feeling. Mm. So I have different mantras for different situations. So before I'm coming in here to see you today, one of my mantras as I was coming in was connected and equal because uh-huh. often the ego kicks in and it just wants to see everything as separate and apply some kind of hierarchy to everything. Mm. But actually, when you actually get down to it and choose to perceive things a different way, if you have that intention of being connected and equal and coming in here and having a conversation on a level like we are now, it sets the intention and it removes some of the fear from the situation. Mm. So I try and embody states of peace, joy and love is another another mantra peace joy love and yeah. i try and I, I usher myself in that direction yeah i, I mean people will listen to this and perhaps it will be a bit of a turn off but i think it, your intentions are huge no and i think they're really powerful ways of as you say removing the ego leveling something i talk about when i do workshops entirely separate to body shot mm-hmm. as i talk about looking for the differences and not the sorry the similarities and not the differences mm-hmm. between us if you look for the similarities and not the differences very equaling, you know, and we'd have a far different world if, if that were the case. There's so much more that, that connects us and makes us similar yeah. than there is a different, but yeah. yeah. So all yeah. of this is a far cry then from a, a Marine, an 18-year-old Marine. Do you yeah. recognise that guy? Can you see you know where what? you've come it's, from? It's funny you say that because I've been thinking back lately and I, I've been thinking back about trying to integrate some of that side of me because I feel like I've been through a lot of We've skipped a lot between the Marines and now, and I've done sure. a lot of different things, mm. and I've had a lot of different identities. And part of my part of my openness to the world and to people is that I am able 
to flex and to change and to, mm. to I'm very kind of able to fit in with different cultures and yeah, I'm very open-minded. Yeah. I don't tend, to, very rarely do I get kind of annoyed by anybody else, even if it's very different to the way I see the world, for mm. example. But what I do think is that because of that flexibility, I've changed a lot over the years. And there are some things that were a part of me back then that I need to think integrate into who I am now, mm. if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. in becoming a family man, that's changed a lot about the way I see the world and the way I operate. But there are things that perhaps I was like when I was in the Marines in terms of that drive that I had to join the military and that focus on the social connection Hmm. And the shared common identity and the shared purpose that this I have. This has definitely there. come for the military. Yeah. yeah. Is it, it, to try and integrate that into my life now because I perhaps don't have that as much now. Hmm. Um, I, the drive's still there, but trying to apply that within this context. So, how can hmm. I, through this work, create a community of people that have a common identity and a shared purpose hmm. and try and integrate some of those things from, my, from some of those past identities? Yeah. Love it. Um, yeah. That unfortunately is where we'll have to leave it, but I think it's a good place to leave it because, you know, using all your collective, your shared experience and the different things you've learned from different phases of life mm-hmm. to have a more complete understanding of what you're about and the value you offer and, you mm-hmm. know, what you bring to the world is a great place to have, to have arrived in your mid thirties, which, which you are pretty much, I think. Yeah, 33. 33. Oh, yeah. sorry. Early thirties. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, and that's that's going to bode you. It's going to all go very well for the rest of your life, I think. Yeah. All right, Dan. Thank you very much for that. Um, no, no, we'll no link to all your your different points of contact on the in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Other than that, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.